I have the um, pleasure and blessing to introduce to you our speaker today. Steve Lewis has come before and spoke to us. He's one of our missionaries, and he represents B-World, a good friend of Pastor Arch Rutherford, our pastor emeritus. Um, and so I would love to uh, bring him up on stage right now. If you give him a round of applause. He's going to bless us with a, just a, um, a message today. We'll just bring hope. And, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. What awesome worship. You guys rock it here. Like I've been under the spotlight here. Uh, some of you got our newsletter that we put out. Uh, that really, that newsletter there was for all of our, most of our trips, about half of them this year, uh, to all the different places that God has sent us. And our newest newsletter, newsletter which is for Christmas, actually is a tribute to my wife who, uh, as of just a week or so ago, we celebrated 50 years. So she deserves a lot of credit <laughs> for all that she does. And so, and it's also to celebrate the 40 years of bee ministry that God has placed, uh, beginning in Vienna, Austria, uh, where we started the, the where, uh, Jody Dillo and Al Bridges started that ministry back in 1979. And we had the privilege of going back there this year, uh, in October to celebrate that 40th anniversary where it all began. And so we are blessed to represent that here today. And, uh, I was told that it was a children's ministry day, so I should bring a children's message. So this is simple and clear. So I think we'll all get a real good uh, place to understand about it. I want to give you a few photos of our ministry that we've done. This one here is of uh, Arch and I when we were in Myanmar just a little over a year ago, and I taught church history there. Uh, 25 women and 25 men from almost all of the tribes of uh, the country of Myanmar, which is old Burma. And at the same time, there's a gentleman there named Paul Wu who represents the Lisu people who are displaced Chinese believers over in the northeast part of, of Myanmar. If you haven't read anything in the news about Myanmar, there's a great persecution going on in the northwest, just across from where you are, way in the northeast. The northwest is where the Buddhists have uh, persecuted the Muslims and pushed them out into, back into Bangladesh and burned all their houses down and murdered many of them. And then they, then they, they petitioned to come back as citizens because they were citizens of Myanmar. And the, the president then said, by the way, you can come back if you have proof of citizenship. They said, well, the proof of citizenship was in the houses you burnt down. She goes, not my problem. So these people are displaced, and fortunately we were up to, Arch and I did a conference up there in the northeast among the Lisu people, had a great time. These people are loving the Lord, and uh, if you've met Edward and Hannah, they have done a great work there, and they are the ones that carry the torch further after old guys like Arch and I are passing off the scene. The next one is a picture of my class uh, in Jordan this last March, uh, in which I was able to, I did the first D-Men course for them uh, in uh, about three years ago in 16, and then this year, this was their final course of their D-Men project. This, this group here, are, these are leaders uh, from Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Sudan, and many other Arab-speaking countries. But the 12 or so, about 10 of them are from Egypt, and they come out and at a great cost to themselves 
because uh, this is not missionary supported for them to get their doctoral uh, work done. So these are great men there. I've had a privilege of teaching there now for 12 years. The gentleman to my left, as, you're, as I'm stand, uh, seated there, uh, to your right, is Dr. Ahmed Shahada. He is the founder of Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary. He and I graduated from Dallas together in, ni- in uh, 1986. And... Uh, we got our doctorates the same year, he from Dallas in 90, and me from the University of North Texas. You will notice that every, most all of them there are wearing coats. They think it's, they think it's cold. <laughs> They've never lived in Colorado. But they're just such amazing people there as well. In the next slide, this is our group. I worked with, uh, with, uh, James Bobo there in Uganda, and he in Midland Bible Church invited me to teach three new courses for B there for three consecutive years. So this was year two, which was this year. I'm going back again in 2020 in July to teach a course on pastoral ministry to help them out as well. These are men from 16. These are 16 men from 10 uh, of the countries of Africa that have come to learn leadership, to become disciplers, to disciple others. And with these 16 men, they now oversee 7,500 men and women who are being discipled and discipling others. One thing about James, if you've not met the man, he and his wife Cynthia keep good records. I would say a lot of the B people, you know, just get out there and do the work and don't really keep track of it. I know when they say they have 7,500 plus, I know they've kept track of every person on that list as well. So it's a great time for that. Uh, so this is the message this I'm going to be giving. The message that gives life, keep it clear and keep it simple. I don't know how many have, have ever done evangelism, but sometimes it can get kind of convoluted. Uh, a friend of mine used to collect all these different tracks that people have used, and it filled up probably two or three boards filled with hundreds of gospel tracks, many of them quoting verses out of context. So I would suspect the best way to do this is to keep it clear and to keep it simple. Next slide. The, goal, the rule of interpretation I've always abided by, uh, well, of all my times of teaching, I've had two senior pastorates, one in Palm Desert, California, and one in La Quinta, California, one in the 70s and one in the 90s. And so I got a chance to, to know this area quite well. My wife and I grew up, met in high school, actually, in Palm Springs in 1966 when I was a senior and she was a sophomore. We didn't get married till 1969 when I was a poor sailor. So I went from a student to a sailor, and I've been working my way up from there. We'll just leave that one alone. For those who are in other branches, we pray for you. Anyway, when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, don't seek another sense. In other words, God is not in the business, if you will, of revealing His Word just to hide it in, in special languages. Now, he revealed it in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. That's true. That was the common languages of that day. But at the same time, he didn't communicate it, so you had to... I know the word is this, but it it really means this. He uses words that really intended to mean what they said. And probably one of the most abused words we have since, just prior to the Reformation, is the word for believe. The word for believe. Well, it... 
If you have anybody, have you ever had people come to your door on Saturdays in groups of two? Some on bicycles, some without bicycles. Some with white shirt and ties, some without. Almost every one of them, I can tell you, I've asked them, would you read John 3.16 from whatever version you have? They'll read it, and the first words out of the mouth will be, I know it says believe, but it doesn't really mean that. Well, now we have a problem. And I, I like to tell people after an hour and a half, I let them go. It, it's got to be simple. I remember when I was a, a youth, uh, well, I was at a little Baptist church in Cathedral City, and there was a, a, the pastor was about my size at that time, and I was a sh- short little kid. And there was a young girl, probably five years old, that, that came forward during the invitation. Now, you've never been heard invitations until you've been to a good Southern Baptist church. I'm just letting you know. And as a youth, we would sit there, please, somebody go forward. I don't want to sing 25 more verses of Just As I Am. I'm just revealing my heart here. Anyway, this young girl came forward, and, and she looks up, and she goes, I, I want to become a believer. I want to become a Christian. And the pastor leaned over. I mean, this, this little girl leaned over, and he says, can you tell me what a bad sinner you are? And the little girl looked up and went, no. And he said to her father, come and get her. Until she recognizes what a bad sinner she is, she can't be saved. Luckily, I know that young lady. She's in her 50s now, and she is a strong believer, but not because of this pastor, but because of someone else who gave her a simple and clear message. So when you read the Bible, it's not trying to trick you with special language. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be aware of figures of speech. You shouldn't be aware of poetic literature but do not let anybody sell you the idea that you, do, you now need to interpret the Bible according to Second Temple literature or ancient Near East literature. Don't go there. You can interpret their literature by the Word of God, but you don't let theirs interpret yours. Plain and simple. So we would go from this. Now, next, next slide. I've, I've taught, how many work in Awana? Anybody work in Awana? The rest of you, shame on you. It's one of the best. It, it has its ups and downs. I have to agree. That's some bumps along the way. But it's one of the best tools to help children come to saving faith. I happen to know, I did know Art Rohrheim and his wife, Winnie, and I knew uh, them uh, quite extensively over the years. And he had a heart for kids. But I've taught the Awana conferences for about 30 years, and I've done commander's colleges probably for about the last 12 years. And so I do. But I tell people, whenever you go to share the message, we call it the gospel. You have to remember there's a lot of ways in which the New Testament uses the word gospel. We usually think of it as what? Good news. I would rather understand it as the great, a great message. News almost sounds like novel. Hey, guess what? We came up with something new. This is the greatest message that God has ever given to humankind. So I would rather think of it as the great message of life. But I say, whenever you go to share this, remember 
in your approach to remember these three things. Okay? The message, whatever message you give, is always about him, who he is, what he's done, and not about us. If any part of that message includes something that you contribute to it, you've, you've got, you know, you lost your ball in the weeds. You've gone off the trail. However word you want to use that there. Second, it always needs to be clear enough and simple enough for a child to understand. What if that pastor would have said to that young girl, do you believe in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ? Nope. I don't think I fully fathom what it means that Christ died in my place. I don't. I don't know the enormity of what that is. But at the same time, it has to be a clear and simple message for children. And third, it needs to be consistent from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis to Revelation. Okay. Now, when God created man and woman and placed them in the garden, what was the only prohibition he gave to them? Besides, don't go to the movies and don't dance. I know. Shh. Don't tell the Baptists I said that. But what did he, what was the one prohibition? Don't eat a three. What would happen if you disobeyed? Die and you will die. That's exactly it. Of all of the trees you can eat. Now we have no recording of all the ones they ate of. But at least it's somewhere along the line. The deceiver comes. Uses a snake. To trick. To deceive Eve. And to eat. So what happened when they ate? They died. So what has mankind needed since then? Who said that? What? Life. No, no, you just need your sins forgiven. Nah, not enough. When people tell me, I want my sins forgiven. Great. For what reason? Come on, come on, get think further on this thing. But you need life. You want to live with him forever. However you want to word that there. Next slide. When Adam and Eve ate, when Adam and Eve ate, they, he didn't declare them sinners, although they were and we are. He declared them dead. As my friend says, D-E-D. Dead. In case you'd think I don't know how to spell it, it's really there. Sorry about that. As a result that every human being is estranged from God, alienated from the life of God. That's what it meant. Now, since then, next slide, since then, it's not just the sin's forgiveness now. To think of it this way, if someone shot me through my heart with an arrow, and I died, and they removed the arrow, that which caused my death, they removed it. What do I still need? Life. Sin is like that. Sin is what, what Adam and Eve did, which brought death. And even if you remove that sin, here's a clue. Jesus Christ died to do what? To remove the sins of the world. To take care of the sins of the world. No, no, just for those four over here and twelve over there, but no one else. That seems like a cruel way to do things. 
And shh, don't tell anybody who those four and twelve are. It's like the guy that dies and goes to heaven, and he goes, and Peter's taking a bite, and he goes, when we go by this door here, you have to be real quiet. So he goes by, and he tiptoes by, and gets there, and finally we get past it, he asks Peter, says, well, why do we have to be so quiet? Those people think they're the only ones here. <laughs> I won't tell you the group we normally give that name to, but I'll let you go there. And my wife says, I have to be nicer to people. <coughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. So it's not enough they remove the cause of death, the propitious death of Christ, dying in our place, took care of sin. Now what people need to do is come to believe in Him. Interesting thing. Somebody read Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Somebody read it. I don't mind this. There's a few number of us. We're like home group here. This is just a big neighborhood Bible study. What does it say in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15? So what's the reason people are cast in a lake of fire? All the bad things they did. You know, someone told me, you need to repent of all your sins. Dude, there's not enough time. And I don't remember all of them. <clears throat> Actually, at this stage of my life, at 70, I know of more things that God would call sin than I did when I was 40. Well, shouldn't you have matured somewhere along the line? Well, guilty as charged. But nevertheless, I believe that it is not a matter of trying to remember all of them. So when I ask them, so how many do I need to repent of? All of them. Well, I can't remember all of them. Well, you have to have the good intentions of confessing, remembering, repenting of those sins. So now we're down to good intentions. I'll tell you, I've got the best of intentions. Don't you? I never intend to do something stupid. Honest. It's a gift some days, but most of the time not. So we have to look at this. So it's the only reason anyone is ever cast in a lake of fire. Now we could debate about the word Gehenna, you know, uh, all the words for hell and Hades, but you cannot get around the fact in Revelation 20 that it is the lake of fire. And it's not a good thing. No way. So we have it there that it's that simple as such. Next slide. Unbelief is the cause for the unsaved not having everlasting life. Not having everlasting life is the reason they're condemned to the lake of fire. Just a simple way of looking at it there. At the cross, the righteous justice of God was satisfied. Some people define propitiation as satisfaction of God's wrath. I have a problem because it sounds like God is sitting here going, Boy, am I ticked. I'm a bull gasket any moment here. Jesus, go to the cross. Goes there, oh, thank you. Now I feel better. His righteous justice demanded a payment. And his love was that which gave Jesus Christ, as a propitiation for our sin. So it's only by belief, faith, trust, same word in the original language. Somebody goes, no, you've got to have, it's enough to have 
faith, but you have to believe. It's, you can believe, but you've got to have faith. You can believe, but now you have to have trust. It's the same word. Pastule, which means faith, believe, trust. Because we have different parts of it in our English doesn't mean that the original language didn't use just one word. There is no difference when, where does, where, what part of your person do you believe is believing in? It's not, now this heart, who's getting kind of old and tattered, is that what believes or is it with your, you have to, you have to, it's a conscious act. So when people go, no. So, so what they do is they attach all these other things to it. Well, did you feel that? Did you feel that? No. Well, then maybe you didn't really believe enough. Did you, did you see that? No, maybe you didn't believe enough. If you're fully persuaded that Jesus is the one, based on his death and resurrection, that gives a free gift of everlasting life, you have everlasting life. The moment you believe that, you're fully persuaded of it. And if you're 80% persuaded of something, have you believed it? You cannot make yourself believe something. That's called make-believe. It really is. No, it's it's an act of volition. Two great scholars in the 16th century wrote great books on the bondage of the will and the freedom of the will. Erasmus and Luther. All I want to say is, They spend a lot of time on nothing because it's not in your volition. It's when you're persuaded. Clearly there for us. Next, then go to the next one. Next slide. Okay. Next slide. This is where all the kids come in. John 3.16. Isn't that something? All the kids here, all those under the age of 18, let's just give it that, recite to me John 3.16 out loud so that all these adults can hear you, all right? I know you can do this. I've heard you around, okay? So what what does John 3.16 say? So love the world, and he gave his only begotten son... That whosoever believes in him should not perish. Wow! The message of life. You are the ones leading the next generation to understand the message of life. You who are under the age of 18 have a greater influence on our world than the greatest missionaries, than the greatest scholars, than all the degrees the world can hold. Because you can say it simply without giving it all that other stuff that we've added to it along the way. That's what the world needs to hear. Well, I know it says believe. It doesn't really mean believe. Trust me, it means believe. And at young age, you can come to that saving faith. You don't have to wait till you're the age of accountability. By the way, can anybody show me where the age of accountability is in the Scripture? I have looked, and I've studied it for a couple of months now, kind of. Next slide. The clearest and simplest text of the message of life in the Bible. Next slide is this we just recited. 
Isn't that something? It is that simple. No, no, they've got to understand. You know, there are passages that I've worked on for years and years and years. And I'm still going, I don't quite know how to say that. Can you really explain the incarnation? God becoming flesh. Can you actually explain the idea that he died in my place, in our place? I cannot. I can tell you what the verses say. I can tell you why God put them there. But I don't fully understand. Can you explain the Trinity? Here's a newsflash. Every, every example of the Trinity falls into one of the classic heresies. Somewhere along the line, somewhere in history, somebody died by holding that view. I tell people, hold the one you can live with and just hold it lightly. Because we cannot explain the infinite in finite terms. We just can't. How long is eternity? Uh, Forever. How long is that? Forever. Yeah, I don't know. You know, only God is eternal. He had no beginning, no end. The best we get is everlasting. We don't get a life that never had no end. I began a long time ago, and some of you did too. Okay. Now, what I want to do is go through John 3.16 kind of briefly, and because I think it fits every age group here. This is not something that only adults can listen to. This is for every single person here. In this, it's the greatest power. Next slide. For God. It begins God. Okay? Next, next slide. All these passages here is that God has declared on the, is the greatest of all power. That's it. There's no if ands, or buts. There's no fudging on this. There's no nothing else. He is. So when it begins for God, that's his declaration of the greatest power. There's nothing more powerful. There's a new writer out that writes for a Bible computer program that says, our God is just one of many, and ours is just the biggest and the baddest and the best. Nah. Only one God, period. It's not a competition. And he didn't, he just barely won. He is God, the only God. And it begins with that. The beginning of the entire Bible begins with what? In the beginning, God created. An amazing declaration. Next thing is, he is the greatest display of love. Wow. So loved. He can give us all these passages that we have here of his love. It was not out of anger. It was out of a satisfaction of God's justice. And he said he loved is the reason he did this. Can we explain that to children who feel unloved? Have you ever felt unloved? This is the one who created all things. But most of all, he did this because of love. Next slide. John 3.16 declares the greatest message to the world. The greatest measure, excuse me, the greatest measure to the world. He loved all, next one, 
He loved all sinners. Christ died for all sinners, not just those on the saved list. Have you ever met people that know that says that God has a saved list? They may call them the elect. They may call them whatever they want to. But you ask them, how do you know, who, how do you know who's on it? We don't. Ta-dum. So that tells me no one in that way of thinking will ever know if they possess everlasting life. It's like a little child who goes out into the garden, digs a small hole, puts a seed in it, puts it in the right depth, the right stuff around it, buries it, puts water on it, and every day he goes or she goes out and digs it up and goes, safe. How is that seed going to grow? By leaving it alone. By knowing it's taking care of what God has intended it to do. We don't have to keep checking it. I grew up in a Pentecostal church in my, from my childhood, the same church my mother, my grandmother both grew up in in Stockton, California. And I can remember people saying, how do you know you're saved? Because I feel this today. What if you don't feel that? Then I'm not saved. And they go up and down, up and down. And when I was on ship on the way on, on, out of Vietnam in July 71, a good friend of mine said, Lewis, you need to get this straight. <laughs> name was Jack. And Jack says, we're going to go. And so we went to some part of the ship that had no air. I know it. No oxygen. Went into this one compartment way down in the bowels. I was on the Enterprise with a squadron. So we went down to this part. And he said, we're going to not leave here until you have assurance of your faith. So he took me down there, and he went through First John, went through John, went through the great passages on assurance. And from that day forward, in 1971, I've never had doubts. Now, I've had doubts of, no, I've had no doubts about my assurance of salvation. And it revolutionized my life. Because if you are not certain of it, how are you ever going to show anybody else? It's like, I don't know where I'm going, and if you follow me, you won't either. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. It's that simple. He did this for anybody who comes and believes, no matter where they are. And I've taught in Singapore, Trinidad, Tobago, Myanmar, which is Burma, the Middle East, in many countries there. I've taught in uh, the Bahamas, and I've taught into parts of Africa, all these places. And guess what? The message never changes. We have a lot of learned people that say it's something else. It's John 3.16. Next slide. It is also declares the greatest gift he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. This was the greatest gift of all. He sent his son to do the Father's will. All the way through the Gospels. Throughout the New Testament, it tells us that. Christ did the Father's will. Christ was the gift of God's love. What a great gift. For you and for me. No matter what our background is, no matter what you've done, you can't out sin God's love and a free gift. Wow. We can tell that to kids. I wish that pastor would have told that young lady sooner a clear, simple message. 
But we get so ahead of ourselves too often there that we do it. Next slide. The greatest sacrifice itself. Next slide. His only begotten son. Next slide. Christ was the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming in the gospel, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. No, no, he meant just this, just that select few. And the rest of you, be careful. For all. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. It's not something that we have in our vernacular a lot. Lambs. But in that day, that was part of commerce. That was part of your life. One of the great things I enjoy when I leave Israel as to go into Jordan is they have a lot of lamb. In Israel, they have a lot of fish. I think it's sort of sticking to everybody else because they, the, they have the coast and Jordan doesn't. Another issue. But they have lamb there, and it's so good. They make a thing called masif, and they take the lamb, and, lamb parts, and they cook it in yogurt. And they put it on a bed of rice that's been sort of crispied on the bottom, and then they put it with pine nuts and almonds and a yogurt on it. And uh, wow, it is great. But the Lamb of God, that's what he was. Next slide. It tells us that it's the greatest invitation. This invitation to life is the most important invitation you will ever receive and the one you will also ever proclaim to someone else. (laughs) That whosoever or whoever believes in him, faith, trust in him. That's what it means. Next slide there. It refutes the list theory. So you don't have to wonder, I wonder if I made the cut. I have to tell you, one of the the great moments of Denver history recent is when Tim Tebow came to play for the Broncos. Every Christian, semi-Christian, whatever they were, all were saying, Tebow, Tebow, we're not going to go to the games until they play him again. And so finally the coach said, that's it, I'm done with it, send him somewhere else. And everybody's like, poor Tim. I know his father, Bob Tebow, who's a missionary in the Philippines, and Bob and I have known each other for years. I never knew his children. All I ever heard about was Timmy, Timmy this and Timmy that, of all of his kids. And Dr. Rod Marker, that was, he never watched television except when Tebow played. And he would sit there, and he was the most fun person. But Ruth would watch TV when she wanted to, but Earl, Dr. Rod Marcus says, no, I don't watch that. that. That's terrible. But she would, he would for Tim Tebow. Making the cut. There is no cut. We all, the moment we believe, at whatever age we are, possess everlasting life. How long should that everlasting life last? Kind of built in there, isn't it? Dr. Ryrie said in class one time, if it's not eternal or everlasting, it's mislabeled. But the Bible gave us that label. We didn't. It's that simple for even children to understand it. Next one. It says it's the greatest of blessings. 
and that is, shall not perish. In this passage, it contrasts the two largest extremes in eternity, perishing forever or living forever. Well, can I just get a... I, I like some of the things these people do that, that sin. So can't I just sort of... No, you either have everlasting life or you possess an everlasting death. That's perishing. It perish means an everlasting loss or well-being. An everlasting loss. It doesn't stop. There are so many that have come out in recent years, uh, Rob Bell being one of them, that said, God wins. Love wins. Even in hell, even in a lake of fire, people will finally come to their senses and go, duh, I believe. And they get sprung. I saw the same thing when I was in Singapore among the Hindus, that you just keep going through this cycle over and over and over and over, and hopefully you learn enough that you finally get to nirvana. Well, the only nirvana I ever knew was a rag band from Seattle. And everybody thought the guy was like, could walk on water until he sunk, died himself. But this idea of loss, it's a real place. It's a real existence. Just as everlasting life is a real existence that we can have now. Next slide. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. Ephesians 3. Next slide. Those who are not in Christ will perish. Every election year, which is every year now, it seems, somebody goes, well, are Jews saved? My answer is always the same. If he or she has ever placed their faith, believed in Jesus Christ for the free gift of everlasting life, based on his death and resurrection, they have everlasting life. But what about, what about, what about people who go forward and then go to jail? My answer is always the same. If he or she has ever believed, faith, trust in him, the free gift of everlasting life is hers or his, based on his death and resurrection, and it lasts forever. You can give me every illustration you want, and guess what that answer is going to be? I keep it simple. It's that simple. But that's what we have here. And so when people say, are, 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 is my brother in heaven? I don't know. Who knows actually? Brother and God. That's it. Oh, no, I could tell by the way he lived. I don't know. I've met some Christians, not me, that have done bad things. Not me. <laughs> no, we all do it. Well, what, yeah, but there's degrees. Ah, now you're going to Rome. And they've got a slick system. Then even if you don't make it here, you get an extra chance later. Whoa. That's also like Hinduism. That's also like reincarnation. It's like all these other things. But it's not Bible. It makes it that simple, that clear. He who believes in me has everlasting life. There it is. So if it lasts forever, it can't be forfeited. You can't do anything stupid enough to lose it. 
You ever lost your keys? Oh, I'm late for work. Where are my keys? Where are my keys? Can't lose everlasting life. It's a gift. But we like to use it to control people. It's like the preacher when he gets, after he gets done preaching, and there's the, the largest offering ever. And his first thought is, what did I say? <laughs> Meaning what? I want to say it again. <laughs> it's not that. It's this simple as such. Next slide. He tells us that the most gracious promise, but will have everlasting life. That's a contrast between those two things. The promise of everlasting life is the ultimate spiritual blessing we seek. Conclusion. God declares, and you'll just go ahead and just click them down, the greatest power, the greatest emotion, the greatest measure, the greatest gift, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest invitation, the greatest blessings, the greatest promise. You will be a partaker of these spiritual blessings provided by God's love. That's the conclusion we can come to. Nothing else we need. Last slide. The free gift, saving faith, believing, is persuaded. Oh, is persuaded that based on the finished work, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ delivers from condemnation, guarantees everlasting life. Who knows who simply believe in him? Or to say it simply, John 3.16. Almost all the children recited that, so I know they know it. You know, children, you are the greatest asset the church has because you can share with people that us big people can't. If I, not, if I went to the neighbor's kids and began to share with them, after a while the neighbors would call the police probably. Especially somebody my size. But if you shared with your friends the simple message that's in John 3.16, you don't know the enormity of that impact may be. They may have never heard that. We have, uh, we have some friends that uh, go to church with us, and they were talking about, they were sharing with, uh, their children went next door and shared with the people that were there and said, well, we go to church. Do you go to church? Do you know Jesus? And the young boy says, well, no. And then find, come to find out that whole family was Muslim. Now, if we would have gone, uh, the parents would have gone over there and said, by the way, are you Muslims or Christians? Unless you brought pie, maybe that would help. But most of the time, now those kids could talk to each other without any problem. I and mean, without our prompting. I mean, don't, don't coach the kids per se. But if the kids know that message, let them share that. More p- parents are brought to the Lord by children than parents taking children to the Lord. That's a sad statistic. The younger you are, the more impactful it is. That's a great message that we have all the way through. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we give you thanks today for your goodness and kindness and mercy. We give you thanks today for the greatest and simplest message of all. That something that even a child can share, that a child can believe, that a child can change our world. And to that, we thank you for ministries like Awana. 
<coughs> for leaders that teach and to help children learn your word, not just to hide it in our heart so that we don't sin, but to proclaim it from our lips in simple terms of John 3.16. Lord, we know that there was more required there than was listed. Someone lied. But it is that simple because your word says so. Pray for this church and its outreach to this community that it also begin with the kids, the children, those that go unnoticed, be seen, not heard in many circles. Let them proclaim the simple, clear message of life. And that we might encourage them, sustain them, pray with them, pray over them, so that they might be strong. Even in times where we were weak, they might shine forth. Thank you for this church and ministry. Thank you for Pastor Tom. Thank you for this worship team and the elders and leaders of it. And the work that you all sustain for missions and missionaries throughout the world. As I represent a few, let me say for them, thank you to these people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.